Sorry for the big break, listeners. Had a vacation followed by bad luck. So yeah, <laughs> needed a little time. So we're we're back and recharged now, ready to go, uh, and ready to talk about just a gem of a book. <laughs> uh, I was describing this to a friend, and I was like, I can do this in like less than ten words summary. <laughs> what is your less than ten word summary, or fewer than rather? As I Stannis suppose. would say. Incel tries to write about communism mixes it with fascism instead that's that's more than 10 words but you get the idea extremely <laughs> short yeah i i would somewhat agree i think that it's better to just take just to just to kind of reinterpret and say like yeah he was probably also criticizing the nazis too and then ignore the other the other half sort of <laughs> at times a lot of times you can do that fairly effectively but there are times where it's like, no, he's literally just trying to say this about the Soviet Union and it's stupid. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in case you haven't figured it out or looked at the episode title, we're covering <laughs> 1984 by George Orwell. So strap in. Yeah. <laughs> I like how you brought over liquor. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's this is the That's time. strapping in. Uh, uh, published in 1949. Originally, Orwell waffled between the titles... 1984 that it got eventually called and the last man in Europe, which I think at some point there's a dialogue line sort of like that. There's like, you're the last man, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That sort of thing. Uh, it was a bestseller, believe it or not. Um, kind of an immediate hit when it came out, people were like, Oh fuck. Yeah. Let's buy this. What year again? 19, 1949 is when it's originally published at the start of the cold war. Right, right after World War Two, nineteen forty-eight is when the Cold War really sets in. So, right then, you know, getting it on the ground floor. Yeah, uh, <laughs> different. We're gonna do a different thing than we usually do, listeners. In that, our usual scene by scene breakdown. That would take so long. It's not gonna happen. I think here. I would no. die at the end. See, the thing is, it really. I mean, it would because we would have to stop every once in a while to go explore the diatribes that it gets into. But not a fucking lot happens. No, that's true. The actual plot is like, he fucks a girl. <laughs> you know, like, it's pretty short. We'll cover the plot and just like a brief synopsis. And we'll make fun of some of the elements of the book in that. Uh, and then we'll get into like the themes and stuff to, to discuss slash complain about. All right. So our plot, let's go through that briefly. Uh, the main character, the main perspective character is Winston Smith allegedly the protagonist here he lives a a pretty shitty life he lives in a post-atomic dystopia uh the country he's in is called oceania i used to say oceania but (laughs) the first part is ocean i mean it's just ocean like i yeah i getcha but in the movie which i also watched with john hurt the movie is a very faithful retelling of this um I, I, okay, I was wondering, because I knew there had been a movie adaptation, and I was like, how the fuck would they do this? It's, well, there's not a lot to tell, so it basically does everything of the book, almost. There's a, there's a few little parts. There's so much interior wallowing, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but they say Oceania. Mm, the, uh, yeah. So that's why I've started saying it that way, but maybe that's correct always, but. <laughs> I think so. Isn't there, I'm thinking of, uh, 
it's like, a region. Isn't that what it's, you call, yeah, the region of, of like islands and stuff? Australia and everything out there. Anyway, that's the country that he lives in, which is like the U.S. plus the, all the Americas plus Great Britain. That's kind of crazy that it reached that far. They just merged. Like That's pretty not? nuts. Uh, anyway, life sucks for poor Winston. He's dominated totally. He's spied upon all the time by his oppressive government, the party. Dun, dun, dun. The drama originally starts because he hates this lady at his work named Julia. Well, he doesn't know she's named Julia at first. But then she gives him a love note because she face plants in front of him. And then she gives him a love note. And then he's like, just kidding. I don't hate you. I love you. This is incel shit. He obsesses over her, really. I don't know. Not really love, but... Do we want to talk about that now, or do we want to keep plowing through with the the synopsis? I figured we would revisit Winston's foibles later. Let's do that. uh, Of which there are many. That section is Winston slash Orwell complaints. um, Because he's he's a self-insert. Essentially, yeah. Well, I think Orwell, like, does try to do a sort of, oh, he gets better as the story goes sort of thing of, like, look, he's stupid because he's in this bad society, but then he, like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> He's kind of clever, so he comes around to my point of view, sort of thing. Uh, Julia gives him a, a note and goes from nada to Prada in his eyes. <laughs> and so they meet up. They start a big affair. This is when we find out that he's married at all because he's mm-hmm. a very deep character. They get a hideout, like this old flat above a definitely legit, never makes any money, but is still open antique shop. <laughs> Definitely not a plant to see who's <laughs> not still interested a CIA in that safe shit. house in the proletarian district, like the poor people working class district. Uh, and they, they're like, yeah, this is great. This is probably not surveilled by the government, even though they watch everything else. We, <laughs> we should probably it. shouldn't have to check it or anything for bugs. And so, yeah, they, they start hanging out there. He also... There's this guy from his work who he writes fanfic about in his head. Oh my and god, like he's so over. into him. O'Brien, like his total man crush. Absolutely, it's weird. Like, and it's all from like a glance, and he's like, "I know, I know, he's good." Like, <laughs> what the fuck? This is a yaoi now. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he's he's not even he's not his direct boss really, just like his superior. He's like the inner party versus the outer party, uh, which we'll talk about later. So anyway, this guy, O'Brien, gives him a dictionary and Winston says, my man obviously wants me to join the secret <laughs> resistance against the all-powerful government because he, I mean, he lent me a dictionary. So when he goes to his house to collect the dictionary, he says, I, like literally unprovoked, he says, I want to take down the government. And he brings Julia too, like immediately. Yeah. And O'Brien, you know, to, to his credit and kind of, I guess, giving a little bit of value to Winston's fanfic of him as being cool is he's cool, but like evil. He's like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. man. I mean, sure. Let's do this. Like he's smart. Yeah. <laughs> he swears him into the fucking <laughs> underground. Uh, they go through the big hate week drama where they rewrite all the war history stuff. They get a day off. And wouldn't you know it? Winston goes to 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 the to the unbugged hideout with Julia, but it was well. We'll find out in a bit after a big theory dump. Oh my god, the theory dump! Which is where <sighs> plot wise, 
<laughs> Winston lays in bed and reads to Julia. He reads a book. And the audience <laughs> is left like Julia, fall, fallen asleep at the end of it. <laughs> Truly. Oh, but man. This, this is just a, like an extended. It's like, I think in Atlas Shrugged, maybe. I don't, I, I've never actually read that, but like. I think there's a thing where like they drop the plot basically at some point and just start reading from a book or doing a manifesto <laughs> or a speech or something. Cool. Love it's that. like that, basically. Great. And, you know, the, the book by the arch rebel Goldstein says, guys, the party is actually just evil because like it wants to be evil. It just loves power. And it's just like, you know, in cartoons where the villain is mean and wants to destroy the world. That's the party. I mean, they just, just, they hate people. (laughs) I don't know. If I weren't directly in front of a microphone, I would be screaming like, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) And so then. Then then torture porn. Yeah. Because, you know, very understandably, they accidentally get like arrested because, oh, like the room was bugged and the guy that lent it to them was a secret agent. And the guy they agreed to do terrorism for was also working for the government. And who could see this coming? Uh, very simple stuff. They get arrested, and then, yeah, they get, like, tortured and tortured and isolated and all this. Just over the top. Uh, O'Brien, you know, ta- kind of, they have these long discussions where he's torturing him, but he's still kind of like, I love O'Brien. It's uh, so weird. But O'Brien makes clear, like, my man, we are just in it to be evil. You know how you have to have a bad guy in a story? We're the bad guys, and we know it. <laughs> And we're trying to do that. Like, there's no, you know, how DMs will, like, attempt to make a plot line interesting by saying, well, what about? I don't know, man. Maybe this bad guy is, like, kind of, you know, has some reasons. Like, no. How any writer would do that. How literally any writer and any human in that position would try to justify it. Like, insanity. True. Yeah, Orwell's not just like, no, they just, they, li- they like being bad. <laughs> They're mean. Uh, they're obsessed with, you know, making people just like them because, just because. And in the end, after all the torture and everything, Winston kind of caves because he's very afraid of rats. He betrays, he like had betrayed Julia before, but still secretly liked her because remember, she gave him that love note once. Uh, (laughs) They have a great relationship that's really founded on mutual respect. For sure. And yeah, I think one of the first things he talked to her about was like, oh, yeah, I remember I wanted to bash your head in or something. I don't know. Just bizarre interactions. Fucking insane. But he's like, no, kill Julia instead. Let me go from these rats. And so after that, the party inexplicably gives him a job and lets him just like drunkenly play chess for the rest of his life. I guess until they decide to execute him or... Until he dies of cirrhosis or something, but And that's it. Oh, and at the very end he comes to see, oh, he really does love Big Brother, who is like the head of this uh dystopic government. Yeah, he seems to have a genuine conversion based mm-hmm. on again, torture. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's the plot of nineteen eighty four. Oh man. What if we just stop there and like, yep, yeah, that was it. What you guys Suck. Think? Don't yeah. r- don't bother. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh. I figured we could take this thematically. I like that. And talk about some different aspects of it. We can jump around here or whatever. That's fine. Um, But one, you know, obviously one of the big things that I want to cover kind of at the top to set the tone 
is what Orwell was trying to do and what I think we can sort of reclaim a little bit. Yeah, I want to talk about that because we, we've talked about Orwell briefly in our Animal Farm episode, but like we didn't get too deep into like his background or his beliefs, I guess. Like we kind of skimmed it, but like we didn't go into it. Not yeah. that I want to do a deep dive on this fucker, but like I think it is worth mentioning. Like what did he actually believe? Well, it evolves. So initially he is a idealist socialist, sort of like a, like like a, a utopian. Yeah, a utopian socialist. This is kind of his sort of roots, I guess. And then when he goes to serve in the Spanish Civil War, I mean, he gets shot in the throat during that. Oof. And the Spaniards were like, you're this tall fucking English bloke. Like, keep the fuck down in the trenches. But, you know, he didn't <laughs> keep down as much and got shot by a sniper. So, I mean, you know, he, he was involved in that. He was directly, he was there a witness to the May Days. The, the, the violent confrontation that ended in the purges of the uh, independent Marxist uh, militias of the Poom that were fighting against like the the brigades, like the like communist backed, uh, like the the Soviet Union backed uh, faction, which which had like the NKVD backing and like you know the backing of the Soviet Union under Stalin, and so he was. It, this kind of starts his initial grudge and and stuff like that, which is sort of I mean grounded. I mean he, that's fair. Yeah, I didn't like that either. And, uh, but what he takes from that is like that evolves into not being anti Stalin and his policies because this is essentially saying let's back up the Soviet people let's help them and you know whatever but like we can disagree with some of the things that they do but it, for him I think it metastasizes into an anti-Soviet and for a lot of the, the you know, anti, anti-Stalin left, quote-unquote, at that time, it really mm, serves as kind of a stalking horse for just being, you know, vaguely communist or socialist, but anti-Soviet Union. Yeah, this reminds me of that chapter in Black Shirts and Reds where they're like, hey, be careful that you don't, like, become, basically become a mouthpiece for the right in your critique. Like, it's fine to critique communists like that's fair we're not above it yeah but when you do it to the complete detriment of the movement like hey maybe take a look at yourself are you are you who who are you doing this for yeah who's siding with you who's applauding you at times who's funding the magazine that you're writing for uh orwell wrote for an organization a a magazine called the partisan review which originally started as a publication of the communist party usa uh but then like underwent a change in leadership and then went like in the 30s and then went like total anti-Stalinist. Uh, and then by the 50s, were being funded by the CIA <laughs> uh, as like this, you know, and, and they just become like essentially a kind of defending American empire sort of outlet. So when you find yourself agreeing with your ostensible enemies that much, uh, that's when you need to take a look. When... When you're, you know, quote unquote socialist, but still anti-communist or anti-Soviet allegory uh, is then picked up by the CIA to do like a, a propaganda film with. Mm-hmm. They're going to Disney-fy that shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe take a look at your life. Take a look at your choices. So, I mean, and, yeah. and again, we I think we mentioned this in a previous episode. Uh, Orwell named names. 
he was asked by a reporter who was working for the British government, uh, some sort of, what was it called? The Information Research Department. He he was interviewed by them, and he gave them like a list of people he thought they should investigate or exclude from things because he thought they were politically unreliable. Uh, He thought they were (laughs) communists. Uh, Some of them he flagged for being gay. uh, Whoa. Yeah. Um, Okay, yeah, fuck this guy. Yeah, and that wasn't published until 2003. People found out about Orwell's list. Uh, But I think that should weigh in on... I think it should. I I think like you have to look at the results of your actions, like, you know, intent versus impact kind of shit of like, yeah, maybe you have valid critiques, but like you're fucking ruining lives here. Mm -hmm. What a shithead. I guess the main thing I want to get into and kind of take a little angle on that is the theme throughout the book of how materially and socially uh, damaging fascism is so orwell in the book like really spells it out himself that he thinks that fascism and soviet communism are equally bad he literally says this uh, later on in, in case you were you know dull enough <laughs> to think that there was some sort of distinction between the guys that try to you know liquidate people to create a pure master race and people who were trying to like house the entirety of their population (laughs) and and electrify the countryside and provide universal, you know, in case those for some reason (laughs) seem too different for you, they're the same. Obviously we disagree (laughs) with that part. And I think if you look at the book as, and just focus on throwing out the part that he was trying to do with, Oh, this is also bad about comedy. If you just look at it, like, Let's imagine this is just a critique of fascism. That was my note over and over again. Like if I went through my written notes on this, it would just be like, this is fascism. This is fascism. Again, this is not communism. (laughs) Yeah. Or like, yeah, fascist, fascistic tendencies, you know, in capitalism, you know, in our modern. Or yeah, this is capitalism. That was another note I wrote a lot. Yeah. Like I, I think at times, at quite a few times, it works pretty well in that. And so that was one thing I was trying to do throughout the book was if I could release myself from the confines of Orwell's thinking. A new interpretation. Yeah. Uh, if, if, you, if you just divorce yourself from this idea of like how Orwell's thinking of communism equals fascism equals bad. And just, you know, say, I, I don't have to look at it this way. If I reinterpret it, fuck him. I don't care what he was writing for. If you're free of that baggage, aspects of this book work a lot better. <laughs> That's a great point. I mean, like, I don't want to give him any credit for that reading because it's like, it, he was so intentional about it. You know, like Big Brother's got a, a big black mustache and like, <laughs> you know, Goldstein is, you know, that's a super Jewish name and Trotsky was Jewish. And like, just, uh-huh. there was just so many, like, and he had glasses and big and hair. And like and a it's goat, like, uh, goatee sort of thing. Yes. Like it, at every step of the way, he was like, do you get it? Do you get who this is? <laughs> It's insane. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you have to do a lot of reading between the lines uh, to to get to a different interpretation. You have to throw some lines out. Yeah. Goldstein, Bronstein, which was Leon Trotsky's original last name. Oh, that's right. That's right. Thin, 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 thin disguise. (laughs) But okay. So 
I don't know. That's that's more of the. I'm I'm still gonna. We're still gonna. There are parts that are so glaring. That we have you to address. Do have it. to step in and say, "Hey, motherfucker!" Like this is not true. <laughs> Fuck right off. You know? That's how I got through this book. I'll be honest. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> uh, I right. mostly let rage fuel myself. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So when you're looking at this uh, 1984 and and the, and the society that poor Winston finds himself in. There's a big emphasis on the poverty of it. Yeah. Okay. First page, boiled cabbage smell. Like, oh my God, we get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I think it's sort of influenced by the time period he's writing in. He's publishing in 1949, but I think he starts in like 1944, wartime stuff. Britain's just come off of, you know, severe wartime rationing and things like that and air raids and stuff. That's, that's kind of the influence there. One thing that I thought, you know, kind of channeling this reinterpretation, though, is Winston's, like, visceral revulsion toward, like, how shitty things are. Everything is described, like, very rundown, very a fallen world, right? And he... He doesn't really have such good memories of better times. He talks to some older people who do. But there is this innate feeling throughout the book through several characters that they've been robbed. Like there is a better opportunity or, better, you know, there's a better possibility that could have been. Yeah, I liked that. I, I like that kind of idea of like we deserve more than this. We deserve pleasure, really, yeah. because, you know, you can say and i'm sure you know in this fiction the party line is like well everyone's fed and everyone's you know alive that also is not quite accurate <laughs> but mm-hmm. you could say okay we've housed people we fed people but like they are like it's everything is so nasty like even the way they describe the gin is like super oily and bad tasting yeah everything's so low quality the chocolate the uh coffee everything yeah awful there's this sense of we demand not we demand because nobody has mm. the energy to demand anything but or the memory no it could be cases. better yeah yeah there's a there's like a vague unease and this is where i thought like you said this can describe capitalism like this this is where a lot of us find ourselves as we're looking around the world like is this i mean this is the is best we it? can do <laughs> yeah i'm trying to get my my ac unit fixed as you know <laughs> and i was just thinking i'm like it's been such a runaround and all I want to do is like live in a house that's not really hot. And like, instead I have to like jump through all these hoops, go through my home insurance and then try to get another company. Cause the home insurance is going to yank me around. Like it's a process Yeah. and it doesn't have to be, it could just be like, Oh, something's broken. Let's fix it. <laughs> it's from there and it's all the way up. It's all the way down, you know? Yeah. It's anyone who's going, who's, who's living in, Outside of maybe, what, four or five metro- major metropolitan areas has, like, shitty public transit all around. Oh, yeah. In the United yeah. States, you know, and, and there's, there's just so many different aspects of it. It's like, seriously, why, like, healthcare, a big, you know, healthcare. example, obviously. Infrastructure, that big fucking road just fell apart and was that, Philly? Yeah, and, you know, how recently did we have the reports on the, you know, the infrastructure grades and stuff where they... He literally said, 
all these bridges, all these things get D minuses, D, you know, C's uh, in their grades, F's, because they, they're not maintaining them. How many mm-hmm. more of those is it going to take before we do anything at all? The number approaches and may not necessarily get to infinity, but it's close. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're not going to do anything about it without concerted action from the people. That, I don't know. That's, that's, that's what it made me think of is like, I think a lot of us have a basic feeling of, you know, it's not, it's not as bad. It's, it doesn't hit you in the face. We're not, we do get to get some tasty treats, right? Yeah. And it's obviously magnified if you live like in a more, you know, oppressed country or like a more, you know, exploited country rather. For sure. If you live in the global South, if you live in a colonized country, you feel the actual brutal end of this, you know, mm-hmm. and I think even people, uh, in, in the, you know, colonizer countries and everything still feel some aspect of this, that the bargain where we get the boons of empire to get treats, to keep us happy is st- itself falling through. And we're starting to see like, Hey, where, where are our treats? This isn't as good as it could be. And with that starts, I think starts to kind of plant seeds of questioning empire itself and saying, you know, what is for some people, you know, what is the point of supporting this whole system for some people like calling into question the awful things we're doing and everything, uh, being more aware of that. I don't know. Like it, it's a starting point, I guess. The social contract has been destabilized to a point where like, it's not even a, it's just a, it's a see-through piece of toilet paper at this point. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I think that was one of the scariest things for the ruling class about the pandemic crisis uh, was the breakdown of that supply chain was, you know, the, the, the labor unbalance and the threat that that broken contract was about to unravel the whole system and you know and and, i mean we still see angles of that with you know the (laughs) the perennial cry (laughs) of the wall street journal editors and stuff saying please get back in the office all our real estate money is tied in on that and you know all that stuff but (laughs) it's Uh. yet to be determined they're just right now it seems like they're just trying to get ai to do as much of it as they can so they can oh yeah (laughs) close this all out but who knows so society sucks in that way under fascism people are incredibly nasty everyone's a snitch everyone's <laughs> a snitch everyone's mean they watch these movies where they're gunning down refugees and they're laughing at oh it. oh that was nasty it's like that scene in full metal jacket where he's like shooting people in the rice paddy like out of the helicopter and he's just like whatever moves kill him you know he's oh. laughing about it and you're like meant to just watch this and be like what a fucking monster but that's just like standard fucking person in 1984 <laughs> totally totally they have the the two minutes of hate or whatever where they basically they yeah they watch videos about the the evil you know goldstein and his conspiracy and everyone just starts like yelling at the screen and throwing shit at it and like he writes a lot about like basically a mob mentality of like, you can't help but join in. And then you're horrified that you did. And yeah, it's like a amped up slightly twisted version of, uh, it's, it's, I mean, it's a pep rally. (laughs) It is a pep rally. (laughs) It's a pep rally, but like you trot out something, you know, somebody, one of the mascots instead of, you know, cause you have the, 
the obviously the gendered mascots you have to have gendered ones um mm-hmm, so you have mm-hmm. the regular mascot and then you have the girl but instead of that you'll have the regular <laughs> one and like the al-qaeda wearing version of it or something some racist <laughs> caricature version and you trot oh them God. out and everyone's like fuck you, you know, that, that would be like the american version of the <laughs> uh of the minute of hate or whatever like that's kind of oh. what they were doing this channeling i don't know it was uh, it, it reminded me of Americans, like sport and, you know, culture maybe the in Western world, like sort of. But I think this is more so American. Uh, this glorification of violence, it's especially the part about like watching the movie and like cheering on them, just like Ugh. gunning people down. It's like, you know, Americans we're the ones that are like, mm, I don't know what you can put in there, like you know, sexual themes wise or something. Whereas <laughs> other countries will just be like, it's fine, like we'll let the kids watch nudity. That's our own puritanical hangups, but like violence, mm-hmm. other countries would be like, this is kind of too much. And we're just like, yeah, gun them all yeah. down. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Like it, it was horrifying to read and to imagine people being that into it, even though like people definitely are now. Like, yeah, definitely. And they were also kind of anti-Semitic. I think it was in that initial Super. description. He said something about someone being a Jewish looking woman. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Just toss that in there too also an awful society uh i think overall the society is also very sexist very gendered super yeah like there's a a chastity league oh yeah the junior anti-sex league that's it that's what it's called (laughs) which made me think there is like a troop of old men and women or you know old people that are like the senior anti-sex <laughs> We still don't fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like young women in the party are expected to join that. And sex is like, they're, they try to, they describe it as trying to like divorce the sex act from pleasure and make it only about procreation. And I was like, that's also fascism. Congrats. You did it again. <laughs> like, <laughs> like if anyone's ever telling you, like we're trying to control your family unit, you know? Yeah. That's probably pretty fash. <laughs> Yeah. Later, I think they talk about the party trying to, the party's scientists. Trying to get rid of the orgasm. Yeah. Uh, trying, yeah, trying to neutralize <laughs> the orgasm or something and <laughs> essentially rely on artificial insemination mm-hmm. uh, for procreation or whatever. It's insane. Can we talk a little bit about like the society structure before we get much further? Because I think that's kind of important. Uh, yeah, let's do that. So you have Oceania. You also have... Two other countries are mentioned. Oh, yeah. God, I forgot their names already. East, East Asia? East Asia. Very complicated there. Yeah. East Asia. <laughs> and Eurasia. That's it. Yep. So we covered Oceania's geography. Eurasia is Europe and the northern part of Asia. It's a little bit vague, but basically the Soviet Union's kind of stomping grounds, minus some of the, some of the territories that border China. And then East Asia is China, Japan, Southeast Asia, and then uh, a little ambiguously anything further west of that, but on the southern borders. I think they got a little bit of Australia, maybe. Yeah, perhaps. I don't recall. I don't recall. It's not important. (laughs) Uh, But they then... uh, yeah, I mean, they then are constantly in warfare with each other. Yes, and they're always squabbling over territory, usually in Africa, I think. That's like seems to be the main 
uh, area of conflict. I imagine South America too. I don't recall them being part of no. Any okay, particular so place. So oh, did you find a map? Yeah. So the Americas, also Australia, are all in Oceania. Oh, they got Australia. There's a little okay, corner so of Australia that is, you know, disputed, but most of Australia. Uh, South Africa, really, uh, all modern South Africa, but like working your way up to, there's uh, basically if you drew a line at Madagascar across, then that would be Ocean Oceania as well. Wow. And then the rest of Africa... The rest of the Arabian, all of the Arabian Peninsula, modern day Iran, Afghanistan, India, that would be kind of your disputed gotcha. territory. Yeah. And so they're constantly fighting in those areas and like kind of changing hands or whatever. Yeah. Keep that in mind. Put a pin in that. But looking closer at Oceania's particular society structure, you have uh, the proles at the bottom and these are the working class people. He talks about them in really degrading and just horrible ways. Ooh, I really hate it. Yes. Winston, what a piece of shit. Why does he... <sighs> he's like simultaneously, and he does this very fascist thing in his head. He fetishizes them and degrades them. Yeah, he says they're going to be the saviors of everything, but they're shit. Yeah, yeah. He's like, they're so fucking stupid. He spends paragraphs talking about how fucking dumb they are, but also like, aren't they beautiful and hardworking? Like, he talks about this... This woman who, like... The woman who sings. The yeah. woman who sings. He's, like, obsessed with her because he's, like, she's... Her she's body's been ruined so by childbirth. But fuck. she's so strong and stupid. And it's like, what is, what is this? Well, it's a noble savage is what he's it is. doing. He's doing a noble savage. He's romanticizing because at heart, he's this romanticist. He's this idealist. He thinks that just because of their virtue of being right and downtrodden that the, uh, you know, because of their suffering, almost this Christian sort of thing is that yeah, they're yeah, going to really gross. <laughs> free themselves and free everyone be messianic because they've gone through these terrible things. But at the same time, I think he completely doubts their ability to do that. Cause they're, he's again, he's like, they're so fucking stupid. <laughs> and he is someone who spends a lot of time because he's, you know, so very smart. Winston is that he says, Oh, you know, I can't, you know, this, this is one of the great crimes of the party is that it makes people engage in double think cognitive dissonance in our modern yeah, term yeah. is holding two disparate ideas in your head at the same time and fully believing both of them. But like his treatment of the proles is like dumber than that. Like it's that, but he doesn't have the <laughs> self-realization to understand that these two things conflict. He doesn't stop to think. I think that these people are very, very, very stupid and incapable of like self-actualization and like complex thought and all these things. But I think that they're going to rise up and free everybody. Like at least the party can do those two things at the same time and be like, yeah, but so what? He can't even do that. He just doesn't even know he's blindfolded. No, no. It, it, and he doesn't, he doesn't respect them at all. He doesn't try to interact with them at all. Like he's horrified by them when he does have to interact with them. I mean, it's, it's just so, uh, What's the word? I mean, it's super condescending. Yeah, yeah, patronizing. And yeah, even, yeah, like his idea of, oh, all the hope is with them. It's like, what are you doing to help that? Like, what, you're not doing shit. You're not like, you don't even believe they're capable of being educated, I don't think. That's the prole class, which I think is interesting too, because the proles, they're allowed a weird degree of freedom. 
they can have beer, which I thought but was not, a weird but distinction, not but, gin, but, but not they, gin. But they can essentially break laws as yes. long as they don't get out of hand, kind of. Like they can, they can kind of do a little bit more than you would think. Yeah, that, that was my read, too, of just like, it's more chill. It's definitely harder, but it's it's more chill in terms of the security state is not on them as heavily. Yeah, and they they a lot of times come across as having kind of a better situation mm-hmm. than other social groups, I think, because like they do seem to have more freedom, which to me doesn't make a lot of sense. If I don't either. I, I don't agree if this is a metaphor for either, <laughs> you know, communism or... I mean, no, it doesn't work with that either. But if this is a metaphor for fascism, like we're choosing to believe, that doesn't make any fucking sense. Right. The Nazis are just like, that's like, fine, go ahead and race mix. We don't care. Like, no, they wouldn't do that. Like, no, no. <laughs> like, exterminate them is what they would do. Or, like, put them to work in labor camps. Like, yeah. So, uh, I didn't really get that thing. Uh, I guess we should expand past the proles a little bit, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get into the party. The inner and outer party. The outer party are the chumps. Yeah, like that's Winston. <laughs> they're Winston. They're people who are bureaucrats um, of some sort. They work for the government, but they're not in charge of it. And so they have, I guess, privileges. Like, they're not as poor as the proles. Even then, I'm like, sounds like you're still pretty poor. It's not like they're that much better off. Yeah, you're pretty poor, and you're way more controlled. Like, things seem to suck for you. You're watched all the time. Yes, so everyone has a, uh, is it called a telescreen, which basically is a screen that constantly is broadcasting stuff to you and also is watching you and you never know when. Yeah, it's like, like your we phone, did kind of but it's on the wall. Yeah, we kind of put a phone in your pocket that does all that, but don't worry about it. It's fine. You've got fun games on there. It's okay. <laughs> Everything is fine. Don't worry about it. And yeah, you're you're super limited in what you can do. Marriage is treated as, you know, very strict. And like, again, they're trying to drive out sex. Um, like you have to get it approved and they, they won't approve it if it seems like you actually like, like each other. they're like, you guys actually like dig each other, right? No. You guys look too horny to get married. No, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, everyone works these very boring, horrible jobs in, in the different ministries, which we can talk about too. Yeah, basically you're you're a Trump. <laughs> That's the outer party. The inner party is cooler than them because like they have more luxuries and shit. Mm-hmm. They have like wine and they have nice tasting cigarettes or whatever. Uh so and and they're kind of like in charge, I guess. They make the inner decisions, you know, and stuff like that. But I, I to me, this was a pretty weak point. A crucially weak point to Orwell's description of his class society here right so there's there's a little bit of a good parallel with the whole thing if you you know you're trying to look at the proles and everything and okay you can say well part of the book describes them as having like not really having a political ideology the party doesn't care what they think there is a vague patriotism that they can tap into whenever they want, you know, just to kind of rile them up for whatever, just to make them do what's bad for them. And that's kind of a parallel to America. If you look at just like regular yeah, people, everyday person. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, we don't want you to be too concerned with politics, but we do want to make you, you know, be able to make you angry about it. Yeah. We're definitely still going to like encourage racism and shit. Yeah. You know, so so like, okay, kind of a proletariat of the Western world sort of thing. 
they do have, I mean, even in Orwell's description, they do have some perks above being literally in like the colonized zone of getting, you know, having war all the time directly on you. You do get bombed and stuff, but not nearly as bad. And maybe by your own government, but who knows? <laughs> but they're like, you know, vaguely supportive of this imperial project of Oceania, despite their class interest. Then the outer party would be kind of a petty bourgeois type. And then the inner party, this is, I think, the fundamental weakness to me, is that they seem to represent this capitalist overlord thing, except for some reason they are kind of like inexplicably austere and, and like monkish. And that like later on, they describe them as intentionally like restricting their own material well-being. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did not understand that. I'm like, wouldn't you have all the night? Like if you wanted to do, you know, you're even if, you know, the original interpretation, like you're, you're trying to skewer communism. Wouldn't you say like, Oh, look how hypocritical they are. They have palaces and blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Like he did an animal farm. Like that's a much stronger argument for either direction. If you're taking in a communist or capitalist direction, like you'd want to be like, look at these fucking nasty. Yeah, they're living it up. But in this one, they're like comically not living it up. He even says like, oh, the wars are designed to use up so much surplus that there's not enough. And so like even just having like kind of nice clothes is good for the inner party. And it's like, why would you do that to yourself? Like what kind of fucking idiot would yeah. run a country and be like, well, I only want to have like kind of nice clothes and I want that to be super cool and everyone to love me for it. Yeah, I, I don't understand. Like there's no there's very few perks in any of the strata. Like it's confusing as fuck. And that's why it was like, it's like they're trying to be evil just to be evil. It's like, I'm not even getting anything out of this. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's very monkish. It's very like ascetic in that way of just like, Oh, I'm, I'm very pure because I, I do this just, just for the pure evil of it. <laughs> yeah. So it's a bizarre, I don't know, a bizarre situation. I am less forgiving than you. I'm still viewing it from like, the anti-communist lens. And if we look at that here, like we've talked about this in like our myths about Soviet Union episodes, we talked about this lots of times, like the fact that in this supposed satire of the party, like there is no proletarian like involvement, like that's just ridiculous. That's just Mm -hmm. patently false. Like you had Soviets in your workplace. Like you could just go fucking yell at your boss all the time. Yeah. Like you were protected. You had a voice. And no one can even party members are shitty at writing in this thing. Like where's literacy? Oh yeah. yeah. You know, where's there's no literacy healthcare improvements. Where's electrification? You know, where's the, yeah, the there's vast none improvements? Of that. And, 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 Oh, you know, what does, what does Orwell do? He like just sloughs it off. He says, Oh yeah, there's an annoying radio that always tells you, Oh, we made this much progress and we made this. And this is like a straw man to like toss off all the huge advancements that the people of the Soviet Union and other uh, social states in Eastern Europe and elsewhere that actually made huge advances for their people. He just sloughs them off by saying, yeah, 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 propaganda. That's exaggerated. That's yeah. ex- according to him, which is just fucking insane. Yeah. If you actually look at what happened, like women were more free. Well, and then that goes back and forth. <laughs> but yeah, you had healthcare, you had childcare, you had housing, like, and not like super shitty cabbage stinky house. Like, <laughs> yeah. 
it was just it's a willful just like obliteration of fact as for someone who cares so much about history and recording it accurately uh-huh. this guy can go drown in a toilet as far as i'm concerned <laughs> Oh, yeah, he spent so much about, oh, rewriting history, and oh, you can't tell what's fact from, you know, anymore, and what's really there, and it's all erased, and uh, what is he doing? Please put that quote as a blurb on the next reprinting of this, drown you know, in a toilet edition. Talk. This guy can drown in a toilet. <laughs> it's also demonstrably false. I mean, if you talk to older people, I mean, they've done, pol- how many, we've ta- talked about it. Oh, but, yeah, the GDR episodes, all mm, that shit. Yeah, uh, people... You know, oftentimes look back on episode, you know, episodes of their history where they had communist governments and say it was not perfect, but things were more equal than, you know, when things you know, it's, it's a flimsy metaphor, not at all based in fact. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, if you, the most generous reading would be, you could say, yeah, there was probably some instances of. I was going to say corruption, but he doesn't even play with that here. Never mind. Okay, no, no generous reading. <laughs> what about technology news? So if we revise it and we say capitalism, it's always telling you how, oh, well, here's how this is going to change your life. Or here's how, you know, new study shows that you can live longer with this. Or you need to buy this to make yourself happier or whatever. Like maybe it's, I know, like it's, that's a stretch because he's really leaning on the production numbers and, you know, this sort of like this, um, you know, five year, I mean, he calls it the three year plan, but like, you know, a planned economy type of thing, but a, an interpretation of that. If you do want to like lean super hard on the, let's make sure it's interpreted this other way. There are aspects of, capitalist societies and things that do very much try to distract us with creature comforts and oh look at how we're improving your life now you can choose from 36 brands of toothpaste instead of only 27 <laughs> you know? yeah yeah i have just started reading uh, the age of surveillance capitalism and they they do speak to like the supposed trade-offs we're making for you know in the name of convenience or you know it's free and it's like that's never free and it's never just for you like there's always a there's always a hook to get oh, you yeah. but there's always a trick to exploit you yeah there's also um ministries so they have the ministry ministry of truth which is where winston works and that's where you fucking edit history. That's where you uh, edit newspapers to make your facts line up with whatever they said today and like whatever actually happened. So all the predictions look right. I call it the Ministry of Fake News, folks. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. The They do like fiction, stuff like that. They apparently have porn as well for the proles. Um, Hell yeah. Yeah, I'm like, that sounds like a fun department. Uh, this at is least. another reason why proles kind of seem to have it a little bit better. They have porn, at least. They have porn and At beer. various points, like, you know, I'm reading the book, or whatever. I'm like, Abby, why can't. Abby hasn't read this book since high school, but I kept bothering about it. You know, um, I'm like, why can't you just, like, quit? Why can't you just, like, not be a party member and just go be a prole? You know, <laughs> just turn in your resignation That's a and great be like, question. You. I'm going to go be a prole. I'm not going to do gonna anything. I'm going to go do laundry yeah, and like, sing. <laughs> And I guess there's one possibility is that they're just kind of off you. Mm-hmm. I think that's the implication. 
I don't know. They're they're so haphazard in other ways that it's like, why wouldn't they let you just be a pro? I mean, they, they'll they'll give you a yeah. job and sit you in a cafe. So like, why wouldn't that they? That seems way more expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Why wouldn't you just let him be a pro after that? No idea. They also said that they monitor the proles. That they have the secret police ready there, like the thought police, to round up any proles that get it too much in their head that they're gonna, you know, do stuff. They're too clever. So. If you volunteer to be a pro, but just act stupid, like you'd be fine, right? I think that's a thing because I, they mentioned at some point that children are tested for aptitude and they like kind of get rid of the smart ones, basically. Like they let them grow up a bit, but once they start showing like they're too smart, they like mysteriously disappear, mm. that kind of thing. They might get taken into the inner party if they're lucky. And then I think, yeah, I think it is kind of an aptitude test thing that determines because they're saying it's not a hierarchical or not a hierarchical, not a inherited kind of society. Like you, if you were born yeah. a prole, mm-hmm. you don't necessarily have to become one, which I thought was really weird. So I'm like, if that's the case, why are we so weird about marriage and stuff? Like, I don't get it. <laughs> no, it's completely incoherent. I think the weird thing about marriage is just trying to be puritanical and like uh, Malthusian almost. I mean, you, you want to have fewer people. Oh, I didn't think of it like that, because it seemed like they were encouraging childbirth. Well, okay. No, you're right, because they do... Because they, remember, the wife was like, we got to do our duty. duty of the party. <laughs> I'm going to start but, calling Well, okay, but then, <laughs> but then, you know, they, they do elaborate on that and say, it's either the book or it's O'Brien. Remember, there, he's one of them is saying, like, the party is trying to suppress or negate the sex drive and harness it that may be the case but i think they're trying to divorce sex from procreation or reproduction they're trying to say like you don't get to have fun while you do this anymore we're just going to do it with technology or just make it so miserable for you that you cannot connect to another human being we still want the kids but we don't want you to have emotions so i don't know though if they she said the duty to the party so maybe there is some sort of desire to have kids but Besides that, there wasn't any mention of the state saying, like, we really, really, really want kids. There isn't, but there also doesn't seem to be birth control if they're relying on, like, the anti-sex league and stuff. I I don't know if, like, yeah, they're actually saying, like, yes, we need more children. I assume they do, though, because they're fighting wars constantly. Yeah, that's true. I also don't know where their soldiers come from, to come to think of it. They never talk about that. Yeah, they're never, like, the proles are mad because they get more people drafted away. Yeah, who who becomes a soldier? You never hear of anyone Winston you like becoming a soldier. Yeah, but that's also another thing. And I was kind of wondering of, do you think that the war? Because someone uh, Julia mentions she thinks that she's just you know tin pot theory. She's like maybe the war doesn't even happen. Like maybe it's not really real. And I was wondering, what do you think about that? I mean, yeah, it could all just be like fake fake propaganda they're showing them fake films or whatever uh before deep fakes probably but you know yeah (laughs) and that could be it and they are genuinely so low on their productive forces that that's why they're so you know uh, ascetic at the top Mm, yeah but you could just cut corners on the war production and yeah you could just do a little less war (laughs) but there i mean i don't know the modern parallel for me for that war aspect is the imperial countries, the Western countries are supposed to be doing any sort of war activities that they're doing as kind of peacekeeping missions, right? They're, 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 they're helping humanitarian, all this shit. 
But what they really are doing is destabilizing regions on purpose and keeping them destabilized, uh, you know, doing counterinsurgencies or whatever, but never really actually trying to establish like complete control and stability anywhere because they want to provide economic security. I mean, superiority over this unstable region to where they can have hyper exploited markets of labor that they can then use the boons of to, you know, bribe their own people to give an outlet. Another example, giving an outlet to the arms industry to, you know, fund that and offload it onto this more violent part of the country to where when we look up and say, oh, a suicide bombing killed, you know, a hundred people and wherever we're just like, well, that's what happens in that part of the world. you know, and it's just like, that's the violence we've wrought. You know, that's, that's intentional. I will say, yeah, some of, some of the war stuff, about half of it hit, you know, I was like, okay, there's some parts of this that make sense. Like, yeah, they, they talk about like, it's a, it's a fight over the labor there. That's what they really want is basically slave labor. They're fighting to, to get control of the people there so they can make them produce shit for them, which I'm like, yeah, that's definitely what imperialism is. Good job. Sort of. But. I mean, yeah, it's it's a big part of it, at least. Well, no, I mean, it is a big part of it, but I think that Orwell still got that wrong. Oh, what did he say? Because <laughs> uh, this is from the Goldstein book, right? Because well, the part to me was that he kind of claims that the colonized area didn't contribute much because all of oh. its gains were used for war. And so he and then he said, goes on to say, you could just not have the war and everything would be the same. Okay, that's really stupid. Yeah, and so that's why he's, he's, he says, well, war is peace, and that's that's what it secretly means. Mm, but that's right, that's right. In reality, I mean, if you go back all the way to primitive accumulation of capital, I mean, generating the wealth of capitalist, of the capitalist class and the scraps that they bribe us with and all that. I mean, That's how you do it. You fucking murder people. Yeah, it's colonization, <laughs> it's war, it's violence, it's imperialism. Yeah, yeah, like that doesn't... He so he sees it as like a self-sustaining bubble that is there for no reason except to gin up patriotism and to, but he also says that like it's used to like artificially depress their economy for some reason. Yeah, that's... which I, like, in some ways I'm like I don't think it's intentional, but like we can absolutely agree like yeah our economy is is artificially depressed by war, but not like I don't know it's one of the results I guess we could say like yeah if we did get rid of military funding like hey I bet we'd all have like nicer lives if that was put to the right places. <laughs> Yeah, but well, but in our system, it's not necessarily, it's so, Orwell just burns it up. I mean, he just puts it in a pit, sets it on fire, or, you know, throws it out in the middle of the world and says, it's been blown up. And, but for him, it's been purposely blown up so that no one can have it. And so that everyone, you know, to different degrees, I mean, the inner party is still going to be better off, but to different degrees are going to be poor. And that's what he says. That's why they do it. Yeah. And they're, they're. Again, that's it's mysterious. They're not really getting anything from it except for O'Brien's, you know, siren call or whatever for for power. He just wants power because he's Darth Vader or the Emperor or something. <laughs> but in our world, we you know, you're right that like it is artificially depressed or whatever, but it's not really artificial artificially depressed because it's not that's not on a universal basis i mean if you look at our gdp or something that's probably still going to go up because it's artificially redirected it's just 
siphoned off into the right channels, which are Northrop Grumman and Lockheed Martin and Boeing and the defense contractors. The military yeah, industrial complex is oil and petroleum. That. Yeah, that's yeah. who's getting it. And the private security contractors and everybody else, the, you know, the military, the intelligence apparatus, all those guys and all the, you know, tech sector that backs them up. All these guys are the ones that are raking in. And this one, nobody's raking it in. Yeah, that's yeah, that's the bizarre thing. It's like, we, in our world, at least we see the villains parading around in their, in their, you know, opulence. And in this one, there is a result. It's it, this one is it truly is like Julia could be right. Like it could just not exist because it is pointless. Well, it's pointless, but again, it's also just run by monks or something. It's run by these weirdos <laughs> who don't want anything. Like why? it's very weird and i think it's really disingenuous to try to like decouple power from wealth in this kind of book because clearly there are material differences like you can't say there's not and the tiny differences you make don't add up well that's another thing i wanted to get into is that and this sort of fits into my category of winston slash orwell complaints just in general but i've dabbled in it already so i'm we're gonna be a little free flowing here it's fine is that Winston and Orwell, I think, are just completely anti-materialist. Like, they're completely yes. idealist romantics. It's... Okay, so, like, one thing... He just doesn't think things through. He, he One early manifestation of this is when he imagines Julia flinging her clothes off and everything <laughs> and whatever uh, as this rebellious action that's just, you know, going to destroy the Leviathan state in one just... Right. And it's innocent at first. He's just dreaming, being a little horny, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, It's indicative of, you know, this notion of just, it's rebellion, man. Like, just just stick it to the man, you know? It's fine. Like, this is, that's what's going to happen, you know? Yeah, both him and and Julia, they, they are both just like, isn't it fun to break the rules? Isn't it, isn't it exciting? And like, I love that, you know, you have these nasty fucking thoughts about me. Like, it's, it's so... Yeah, it's pointless. There, there's no directedness to their action. You know, when they try to join the movement, I guess that is more direct. But, like, even obviously that is set up to fail. Yeah, I think Julia at least has a better take on that because... She's like, fuck it, I'm just going to enjoy my life. Right, and she's like, I'm not going... Until Winston tricks her into it or gets her into it. But, like, she's like, I'm not really trying to get... I'm trying not to get in trouble, but still break the rules. And that, that's kind of like, mm-hmm. okay, that makes sense, kind of. I get it. But... Winston, there's another part, you know, he talks about the proles just kind of like, which he, again, is repeatedly talking about as the stupidest things. <laughs> These beasts. One yeah. day rebelling. Like, that doesn't take organization. Like, that doesn't take, you know, people, you know, propagandizing, people recruiting, people doing work amongst the proles. Like, they're just going to, like, realize that one day. People that you don't think have the capability of that, but are still going to somehow realize that and be your savior. Like we've been talking about it's anti-materialist. He has no conception of class relations with them. It's just idealism. Just like they get the right ideas and this sort of mode of thinking will switch and that's, what's going to change them. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of obsession over, uh, your personal ideas about like love and connection to people, which I think is like nice and in some ways, but I don't think that's 
it, it's, it's not material. That's for fucking sure. But like that, that was his big defeat was admitting that he wants to rat out Julia. Ha <laughs> rat out. Um, <laughs> that was his big loss is like, oh, they've, they've beat me because I, you know, betrayed the woman I love. And that was the ultimate, you know, fuck you. Which like, yeah, there's something we said for like losing your humanity in that way. Like that's sure. But like, it's a, again, yeah, it's a very romanticized view of like what matters and what doesn't. And like, I don't know. I don't know how well to articulate that, I guess. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's, there's another part. I think it's in the book where he's like, or he says, ultimately, the book book. <laughs> yeah, Goldstein's book. Um, he says, ultimately the determining factor is the mental attitude of the ruling class itself. And he's talking about like how the ruling class could lose power. Uh, but, but it's, but it's like, Why? Like, why would it be that they wake up one day and decide they're going to get defeated? Like, why is the men- their mental attitude has something to do with it, but n- absent some countervailing force that your bitch ass is not trying to do anything to, to, to fix, to help? You know, the, it doesn't matter if the, men- if the ruling class wants to retire. The proles aren't going to take the reins unless someone's done something to organize them, to take power. Uh, it's just... I don't know. Ridiculous. Another example later when O'Brien has him in the torture room and everything, and he's telling him the party's going to win, you know, the party, we, we are just evil. Ha ha ha. We are going to (laughs) defeat you and we're going to rule the world forever. Thousands of years. Winston just tells him no. He's like, no, no, I think you're going to lose. I just know it. (laughs) I just have this faith. I just think that you're going to lose. Just like based that's that's based on you have no evidence nothing yeah that's just your belief like with men like Orwell at the helm any revolution could be doomed to failure I mean you just you're just gonna no 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 you you're <laughs> you're gonna fail like <laughs> oh, yeah there there is. And I, I couldn't tell if, like, the bleakness was the point. Like, you know, like, fucking Winston, not Winston, fucking uh, O'Brien says, you know, the, the cruelty is the point or something like that mm. of, oh, it's just so hopeless. And, like, look at this hopeless fucking book I wrote. Or, yeah, or if he just genuinely didn't have an idea for how it would be done. <laughs> it might just be both. It was meant to be a dystopia. It was intentional in, like, what could go wrong. And so people ostensibly would try to head it off before it got to that point. And he got, I guess he gives kind of a glimmer of, oh, maybe the proles or something stupid, but I don't think he, I don't give him enough credit to. I don't either. I mean, I'm looking at a line right now that I highlighted that says, talking about the proles and like why they have more freedom. They can be granted intellectual liberty because they have no intellect. So like just saying it out loud, like these are dumb fuckers Mm -hmm. and like it doesn't matter what they think. Yet somehow I think that they're going to (laughs) overthrow everybody. Yeah. Can we talk about women? <laughs> we can always talk about women. This guy fucking hates women. He is a misogynist. He is. I don't know if Orwell specifically. No, no, no. He's I did a, I did a little bit of research, not like in depth, mind you. I read, I skimmed his Wikipedia page. Ooh, okay. I will say he he has a couple red flags. So one, he's ugly. Like, I'm sorry, he's just very ugly. <laughs> he's an uggo. Okay, well, this means he would be a good party member. Remember when? <laughs> Winston's like, hey, just so you guys know, everyone in the party is an uggo. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, He's uh, okay. So like there's a quote from a friend who says, uh, 
he used to say the one thing he wished in his in this world was that he'd been attracted to women, attractive to women, not attracted to. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so like, there's a lot of like weird little incidents, like nothing explicit that I could find. Um, I, again, I didn't do a deep dive, but like he would. Um, like when he was in a sanatorium, um, his wife's friend visited and there was a quote, awkward situation. So like definitely tried to hit on his wife's friend. Yeah. <laughs> he had an affair uh, with his secretary, which like cool power situation, probably Jeez, very, like you're living in very the 20th fine. century or something. Be original. <laughs> And they also just, like, talk a whole lot about, like, as a child, he was, like, super fucking, like, lonely and, like, no one was friends with him. <laughs> Dork. There's also Sonia Brownell, his second wife. Oh, what happened to her? Well, kind of a side note here, but um, Orwell's first wife died in 1945. He was very, very lonely for a while. He eventually remarried a woman named Sonia Brownell in 1949. Uh, who is rumored to, by some to be the inspiration for Julia, and that she was <gasps> you know, 15 years his junior. Um, okay. Married him shortly before he died. Okay, then let's go ahead and talk about Julia, because this character, <laughs> the minute she's introduced, she is Despised sexualized violently. Loathed. Like, he fantasizes about raping her. Like, what the fuck? And is that the same one where he fantasizes about killing her or a different one? I, that might be a different one. Just I don't remember. Serial killer closely. shit. Yeah. Just immediately upon seeing a woman that he thinks is hot and is, you know, against having sex because she's wearing the fucking anti-sex league sash. He's like, well, that means I want to murder her and rape her. Like, okay, normal thoughts to have. Great. <laughs> and then on a fucking dime, as soon as she, once again, Shows extremely... She shows interest and she's described as like much younger than him, way hotter than him. He's like 40, like 39 or 40. And he's like ugly as fuck. Now, yeah, that's actually the main operating thing. Like at some point he's like, eh, she's not that hot, but he's just very, very ugly or something. He's very ugly. Yeah. So like, you know, a seven looks at a, a two and they're like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Like. I don't know. I, at first, she was described as very hot, and as he gets to know her, like I feel like it diminishes. I thought he was um, like she was. She had very thick black hair, and like you could see her hips because of the little sash. But I don't think he was oh, like, I, damn I, girl. I thought he was. I thought he was pretty into it. Well, once he had the dream, he was like, oh, she had a good body. Mm, okay, okay. I guess I'm just being like before they start later fighting. when he says about like the makeup and all that stuff and. He's like, she looked pretty good. You know, he's like not that charitable, I thought. Overall, he just completely, just as soon as she shows any interest, is like, oh, JK, like, let's go meet. And like, just completely forgets how he wanted to murder her just a minute ago. <laughs> Drops everything. For a man who lives in a completely oppressive police state, <laughs> is this too complicated of a plot line for Orwell to write in that... Maybe he was being honeypotted. Okay, yeah. Uh, what is her motivation of just saying, I love you? They have made eye contact once, I think. Is there actual contact before that? Yeah. That's it? Other than her being, you know, her mind being as completely warped by her societies as his. 
I mean, maybe. It doesn't make any sense. It, it's just truly just out of the blue. Like, yeah, either throw in a honeypot angle or throw in or make the message something more, you know, it, it, something indirect of like, hey, like I want to talk or whatever, anything. I think that was too complicated for Orwell. He was just like, look, <laughs> communism is bad, right? He thinks it's too complicated for women. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> true. Well, yeah. Oh, my, a woman couldn't come up with that. Absolutely not. Because Julia is described as like very, to me, she was the Molly of this book. If you remember Molly from Animal Farm, who was my favorite character. Oh, the like pretty baubles? <laughs> the horse. The pretty horse. Yeah. Yeah. She she wasn't like a one-to-one, but like in a way she reminded me of her because she was described as very like vapid, like had no interest in politics, was very just like, whatever, mm-hmm. I'm just in it for me. I'm like, you're, you know, I'm just out here fucking guys because like it's fun and like, yeah, I mean, fucking yeah, that sounds rad in some ways, but you could tell Oral was like, this sucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And, you know, she falls asleep while he reads theory. Like, she just she just doesn't have the brains for it, does she? Yeah, which, <laughs> that was a lot of theory, bro. Like, <laughs> It was boring. I get when it. I finally got to the end, I was like, oh, fuck. Okay, they did get back to the story. Okay. I almost fell asleep. <laughs> Call me Julia. I almost fell asleep. Um, yeah, and, and, like, when she puts on the makeup and stuff, like, it's, it's just, she is weirdly interested in femininity and it's derided and it's but that's like where she in in ways she gets closer to winston because of that right like that's when they're bonding is when she's like putting on the dress putting on makeup like she kind of earn he because they describe their initial kind of flings as way more physical than later and so like they kind of start to bond she like earns a place as a woman with him when she does those things. Yeah, yeah. So maybe it's more like she inches closer to like traditional womanhood by by breaking these rules and and wearing makeup and stuff like that and that's seen as a very good thing and that's seen as like a rebellion, I guess. Well, it's a rebellion, but it's also a return, right? It's a return to tr- the the tradition of before so in that way it's more like a almost a reactionary thing like a not a reaction because the society itself is but a like a, a primitive you know sort of return to the old ways traditionalist yeah yeah you could view it as like oh this is i mean obviously it's very gendered it's a fucking 1940s uh, <laughs> and yeah but yeah, you could say, oh, this is a return to like sexuality and that being more positive. But I don't know. I, I don't think, I think the way she is written is really just as a, not even a plot device. Cause like O'Brien comes to him separately. So like, I don't know why she's in here except to have a little, like a young woman to be interested in older man and to fuck. <laughs> Self-insert, man. I, mean, I think so. Like that's what it so. came off. Yeah, I mean, like, it gives him someone to interact with and to tell his bad ideas to, I guess. And to teach. <laughs> how many how many women have been in that? To be smarter than, you know? And to yeah, no, totally. Like, she's she's portrayed as, like, this, this idiot that he has to talk to. Yeah, I know, though, the, the bit about her, you know, growing more traditionally feminine and stuff and kind of hearkening back to a time before the parties. And she puts on the old dress and everything, right? It does fit in a little bit with a theme of uh, that they kind of mm, 
interlaced throughout is this theme of nature. This unspoiled mm. alternative that they, I mean, they initially like interact with in, in the little bit of, I don't know, it's, it's left ambiguous a little bit or lots of unspoiled land out there that people just aren't on, but it's kind of like eco in a way. It's, it's a little bit of like a kind of Morris-esque, like mm-hmm. return to nature kind of thing. Yeah, so when they start their affair, they they go out into the the wilderness, basically, that somebody, like, she found on one of their community hikes, which I'm like, well, first off, community hikes sound adorable. Second, <laughs> secondly, yeah. Let's do that why, without passion, what is this please. nature, like, what is this nature being used for? Is it just not being developed? Are there farmers in this place? Like, I don't fucking know. There are some farmers, food. because they talk about getting black market goods from out there. Oh, that's right, that's right. Are the farmers free? Are they like proles? They're probably proles, but they're probably like un- completely unsupervised proles too. Mostly Just like a farmer. Yeah, I I do see that like nature is being held up as some like there's a lot about like the birds singing and all that shit. Like his, he dreams of this this field that he ends up visiting. So yeah, it's like an idyllic kind of thing. Yeah, I think it's more of his romanticism, more of his idealism. Mm-hmm. Saying, oh, this is industrial, you know, dystopia, and this is pastoral utopia. But when you do that without class analysis, you end up with this drivel, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my only other note was just, like, every other woman character is treated very badly. Like, the, the washerwoman, I have already talked about enough. I just, he, as soon as he's like, her body's been ruined by childbirth. Like, we get it. You don't want to fuck he, her. Like, you can just say he that. He describes like, her like a horse or something at some point. Yes, yes. He's like, it's just so degrading. Like, he just truly does not see them as people. Uh, going back to the, the party, uh, Ing Sock or English socialism. Not a lot of socialism going on, so I assume, or, you know, my better reading of this is like a national socialism sort of thing of the Nazis. We already mentioned, you know, it's got this this idolatry sort of thing, worshiping Big Brother, the Fuhrer, the all-powerful leader, God sort of figure. There's a strong aspect of with the party, like the party is like the only sort of arbiter of truth. That's a big theme in the book is that whatever the party says goes, it is unchallengeable and whatever you think as an individual, that's got to, you know, be obliterated. That's got to be completely subsumed to the will of the eternal party, right? Like that's, that's what holds true. Yes. It's, it's very, like, there's a lot of writing about truth in this. There's a lot of writing about history and, and what is, what are those things? I, I do also want to briefly say we forgot to list the other ministries. Oh. It's the Ministry of Love, which is like security. Um, like the, that's where the thought police goes. And then the Ministry of Peace is like the war office. Yeah, which is like the U.S. with the Department of Defense. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. Formerly like, well, known no. as the Department of War. Yes. <laughs> I kind of wish we would just go back to that. Just like, that's just say it out loud. Kinda, yeah, it's it's obviously barbaric and imperialist but <laughs> it's more badass also than <laughs> defense anyway yeah there there winston really struggles with his job because he is constantly changing records to reflect the current state of things and he'll be like but i remember um you know there's this one incident of these three guys being uh basically being 
killed uh, by the party and having to like erase their existence from things and label them as traitors and stuff like that. And he's like, remembers holding a piece of paper in his hand that refuted that. And that really freaked him out. I thought that was kind of cool though. The process of rewriting stuff like that, you know, and, and uh, altering the past or writing speeches for big brother or whatever was an interesting exercise. Kind of one of the rare points of strength, I think, because it, it was a, <laughs> so big brother and, and the government more broadly ended up being kind of a collective tyrant for this society. Like if you are reading like news reports and stuff of big brother speeches that have been revised by you and you see them there and you're like, Oh, I, I wrote that, you know? And, and obviously double think you're like, but I did that big brother said that, but like you're oppressing yourself, like you. And, and then if it's not specifically you, you know, the people you work for did that, like you as a class, therefore, you know, and Orwell wouldn't get into that because that's class analysis and he's an idealist, but still, that, I mean, that's, that's what it says that the, the, those, the, the people that interest that class interests that should not want to be oppressed by is, is writing its own death warrant. Like Lenin said, you know, the capitalists will sell you the rope to hang yourself with. I mean, the, the, the party is doing that to itself. Yeah. I mean, you know who that reminds me of is the democratic party, <laughs> <laughs> you know, or people who still believe in that mm -hmm. people who are maybe not the inner workings of it, but people who are like, yeah, we can definitely do it. And yeah, like the outer party know. of the democratic party that is always mm -hmm. saying this mm -hmm. is the most important election of your lifetime. Willing to completely sell their soul for, for this chump ass candidate. And then conveniently forgetting when like he's deported more people than Trump and shit like that, you know, like just completely forgetting what he ran on and what he promised and what he's doing. Student loans, anybody? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're thinking we're going to have a year of Jubilee with him. Here we are. <laughs> Not so much. You're uh, debt collectors. Let's talk about language a little. Can we get into that? For sure. So they speak something called new speak, you know, like everyone still speaks old speak, which is just English. Uh, but one like slang that's taking off and they're compiling a dictionary for is called new speak. And it's just like the dumbing down of language to the point where there is an appendix about it at the back. And I didn't read it because I, I've tried and I felt myself getting dumber and I had to stop. <laughs> uh, I'm going to be honest. All right. Now I, I actually recently started reading which I haven't never uh, haven't read before, which is a little, you know, a bit of an admission, but I haven't read the Lord of the Rings. I've watched all the movies, but I haven't read. So I recently started reading that and they have an entire like prologue, uh, first whole part, pre, you know, pre book. There's multiple sections lore. of it. That's just yeah, yeah. the lore of hobbits yeah. and all this shit. I read <laughs> all of that. That's me. That's, <laughs> You're like, I can invest. That's in how that. I read books. When I was done with this book, and I got to the appendix, I fucking put it down. I said, no, <laughs> I couldn't do it. And like, I, I was, I felt bad. I'm like, I'm doing a fucking episode of this and I'm not going to read all of it. Whatever. Like I, I'm sorry, listeners. We do a lot for you. I couldn't do that much. Call more. it chapter fucking five or whatever chapter we were on at that point. If you want me to read it, but like, <laughs> I would have read it dutifully, but you'd put me through the ringer already. It's bad. Uh, listener, you can chime in with whatever valuable insights we missed from 
the appendix. But I got the point. I didn't need that many pages of it. The point is, their goal is to reduce language so much so that there's only one way to think. Yeah, curtail thought, which that's not <laughs> true. That's, that's I mean, like language does not sufficiently curtail thought. That's not a thing. Like now, there there is a stronger uh, argument that I remember because of its use in the Dune series mm. uh, called the Sapir Whorf Hypothesis. Uh, I've heard of this. Which is that the structure of a language influences people's cognition, which I think is what Orwell is kind of saying here is that like how yes. it's built and, and, and taking to that extreme of like, if you don't have the word for that, you can't think it. But language is creative. Yeah, it, it's a creative act. You can't divorce that from any of that. Like, I, I, <laughs> All right, when you write a book where people are saying like double plus ungood and stuff like that, what are you doing? Then clearly, people can make bullshit words for what they're trying to say. <laughs> That's true. Like, there is a certain creativity in it. I think like it's sounds fucking stupid, but they are like building on it. Well, it's elitist. It's it's that's so. This is what it is. It's uh, Winston, for all his "I hate the party," is of the party. Like this is where he sees things from, and so when he sees things from the party's lens, and says, and he, he kind of like sees as this horrific story what he's being told by that guy that gets hauled off by the thought police at some point, mm-hmm. um, the linguist guy who's like, "Oh, this is great. Yeah, yeah. We're eliminating all the words, Elim- eliminating adjectives." That was the big one. Yeah. Uh, he sees things from his point of view, you know, and he's, you know, Winston is horrified because he's, he's got the right ideas because he's good. He says, Oh my God, they're going to take away the ability to think about this. So therefore people won't be able to even consider rebellion against the party and all this. Right. He sees it from that party point of view. And, and we've covered before how patronizing he is toward the proles and everybody. He can't conceive of, people below his station because because he does sort of essentially absorb the party's views of the proles that they are inferior in almost every way except for his romantic notion that because they're closer to the earth and its rhythms that they're just going to overthrow things aside from that he thinks they're intellectual complete dolts and so he thinks there's no way that they can conceive of anything outside of this. Like I am smart enough as a party member to say ungood when I mean bad. And so I'm able to construct from the allowed words what I mean. They're not. Yeah. Are the pearls even the, exposed to news? The pearls aren't even. They're not reading. No, when he they're, goes, they're like not literate. He literally goes and talks to them. And they're not speaking newspeak. Like they sound like British. Yeah. What does he think is gonna like? They still have all the fucking words. And and your society <laughs> is so lazy. They don't bother to go out there and say, "Hey guys, you have to speak newspeak now." So yeah, how are they're you? not propagandizing. Like all their propaganda goes to this weird small middle class. Yeah. Well, which I think maybe in the book they argue that. I think the book argues that the proles just have no chance. And so you only have to keep control of the party or the book, which is Orwell's sort of stupid idealism is <laughs> saying that that's, that's where I was complaining about his idea that like the ruling class can really only defeat itself by like losing the right, yes. con- basically losing confidence in itself. Yeah. That was a, such a weird line. I was like, what the fuck are you saying? And right it's now? just like, yeah, just 
fucking put somebody on a sealed train from Germany and agitate against your fucking, you know, agitate amongst the proles and do book clubs and shit. And your society is going to get overthrown. Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I, I, and okay. I, I just don't understand any of it. I think some of them are literate though. The proles, right? They they have a limited amount of literacy. Yeah. Um, Because they read like the, oh, they read the porn. No, they read the porn and they read the lottery again. Orwell, super class. They read the lottery. They, they become oh my god yeah and they they become really good at math so like there's proof that they're not stupid yeah but this is the yeah you're right it's proof in orwell's patronizing way that yeah oh they're not stupid you know they can they can do they can do gambling numbers and <laughs> whatever but, and read porn yeah <laughs> he's just he's such a shithead yeah yeah so yeah that's basically the thing with language is that it's attempting to to oppress via its structure and it's pretty dumb uh. <laughs> but there's i don't know there's also an interesting inversion that the party i think tries to do in its in its classic uh the, the slogan right and this is sort of one of the hallmarks of the book i think is the, the slogans of the party of uh, war is peace freedom is slavery ignorance is strength and the classic interpretation of this is my God, this is just like the Soviet Union, right? Like this is <laughs> exactly what they would say. But what if we turn that around? You know, what if we look around and, and say, how does this apply uh, to the capitalist world? War is peace is easy. Now, when, yeah, they tell us they have to do this to keep the peace. Yeah. I mean, Ronald Reagan, the right wing. Ronald Reagan literally had a slogan of peace through strength. Which is just a rephrasing of War is Peace. That is just that. Did he read it? And he was like, that was pretty good. (laughs) My God. (laughs) I love this idea. I I could be the big brother. I'll grow a mustache. Big brother. (laughs) Uh, So, I mean, you know, that's simple, obviously. Just, and and, come on. We can't just slander the Gipper. We got to go before him of speak softly and carry a big stick. Teddy uh Roosevelt. I mean, we've been doing this for a long time. Monroe Doctrine, like it's yeah, what we're you really do when shit. you're an empire, or when you're an aspiring yeah. one, shall we say, for Monroe <laughs> Doctrine. <laughs> uh, one day. All right, freedom is slavery. I don't get this one as much. So here's how I, a little bit of twist, but oh no, no, no. okay, in our twist, I get yeah. it. Sorry, I, I don't get it in this society. I'm like, why would that? That one's not catchy at all. <laughs> freedom is slavery. Um, uh, well, there. Uh, what did they say in the book? Um, here we go. Has it ever occurred to you that it is reversible? Slavery is freedom. Alone, free, the human being is always defeated. Oh, this no, is... No, that, that's from Wilson. Oh, but... Okay, so... It's... Or not Wilson. Fucking... O'Brien. O'Brien. I keep yeah. fucking up his So, in there... Yeah, in the, in the party or in O'Brien's understanding, uh, the understanding of freedom was freedom to be the individual versus freedom to be... or. Uh, subservience of the person to, as, as he describes it, one human is just a cell in yeah, the body. Which you need to make yourself subservient fascism. to the party. Like that is, yeah, that is straight being up like an organ of the body, right? Yeah, that's fascism. <laughs> and so, uh, so he was like, yeah, you know, being free to be your own person is slavery to death. Is yes, you will die and all your shit will go away. But if you become part of us, you'll never die. Yeah, because you'll be the party. Okay, but the other the cooler interpretation that we're going to do i bet it's going to be your classic freedom speech yeah i'm a freedom guy 
<laughs> right? Uh, I'm, con- I'm, I'm convicted in court of law of being a freedom guy. Going back to the arch communist himself, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. What about freedom from want, freedom from homelessness, oh. freedom from oh. illness? All that is slavery. That's, I mean, that's what the right, modern right wing wants to say, right? Is yeah, that, they, they want to say, if you're free, if, if we provide those things to you, then that's bad. Yeah, then that's the government controlling you. And that's slavery. We're Fucking forcing Fucking sign people. me up to be controlled. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so, and I mean, uh. you know, hell, they're not always on the same page with them, but Comrade Stalin said, you know, what? How, how much freedom does a homeless person have? How much freedom does somebody have when he's unemployed? You know? Yeah. And yeah. that's what you got to think about when you're asking, you know, asking about freedom. Freedom to what? Yeah. That's always the question. Uh, uh, what's the last? Ignorance is strength. I would point listeners to exhibit A, the illustrious state of Florida. <laughs> and other states in the union that want to ban various books and restrict the learning of this and restrict the performance of that. Yeah. Ignorance is yeah. strength, my friends. Yeah. You, you When you cut yourself off from curiosity about other people to the point where you're persecuting those people, let's be clear, because I don't want someone to come around and be like, well, you're cutting off their ideas too. Fuck off. Those are, <laughs> those are Nazis. I can be mean to them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it is the idea of... And I, I would say another one is is our, all of our little toys and distractions. That that is ignorance mm. in a way too. Of like, oh, just plug in, ignore, don't worry about it. Watch this cool new show. Yeah, that's like the cl- that's actually kind of like the classic comparison that people make between 1984 and Brave New World. Of cause those are those are oftentimes held in comparison. Yeah, they're around. paired. And I've seen, I, I think, a lot of listeners probably have seen the comparisons like actually we're more like brave new world than the other one because 1984 is very restrictive and stuff and brave new world's more like permissive but overstimulated like indulgent yeah and so yeah i've never read it so i don't fucking know it's pretty good but i haven't read it in a long time i thought it was pretty good when i did but <laughs> not from a class analysis standpoint so maybe it sucks um who knows let us know <laughs> listeners should we read it but this idea of being overstimulated, I think, is much more in our, uh, what we're used to, right? So I, mm-hmm. I definitely agree with that. Uh, well, you could also say for this society, too, of, you know, there's a kind of, I would say almost, I would, my most generous interpretation, a joke, a running gag of um, no one remembers who they're in, like, at war with. Like, it goes back and forth. Uh, and people are very willing to believe that of like, oh, no, we've always been at war with Eurasia. And you could view that as, as strength too, like the ignorance of like not believing your own memory. Again, going back to no, the idea of truth. You're fucking right. Ignorance and strength is like our goldfish brains about everything that's <laughs> happening. Like no that's one remembers anything true. that happened like two two years ago. Like two months two ago. Two months ago. <laughs> like it's all and uh, it's just bizarre one of the very trivial uh situations of this is the merger of the liv golf thing with like the pga golf thing yeah yeah like a year ago or something they were just like the pga guys were just like you cannot possibly 
go work for LIV. They're funded by the Saudis who chopped up that guy, <laughs> Jamal Khashoggi, and like moved him around in you know, oil barrels or briefcases or something like Tony fucking Soprano dumping somebody Jesus in the metal. Christ. And and you know, now they're like, This is this is fine. <laughs> Or if you draw it out further, yeah. I mean, how many of the 9-11 hijackers were from Saudi Arabia? Mm-hmm. And we totally said, no, we're at war with Eurasia. <laughs> yeah, and we've always been at war with... That's, we've yeah. always been. Now, I will kind of haul it back over and say this was one of my big mm-hmm. complaints of like, hey, motherfucker, when you're talking about the Soviet Union, because I know what he's saying. I, he's saying the the Sino-Soviet split, right? I was no, no. He wasn't later. even there for that. Yeah. He wasn't even alive. He's saying never mind. Molotov Ribbentrop. He's saying Nazi mm. Germany's pact with the Soviet Union. Okay. And then when that changes, no, we you know right. okay, they, they, they did not do that. What's the real story? Because the, there's there's multiple points of this. The Molotov Ribbentrop pact. There's the Great Purges, you know, which we we've talked about at length, and we know that. Probably probably too much, but some of it was legit. Yeah, that's kind of our nuanced take on it, which, <laughs> I mean, you know, th- that probably makes us wrong, potentially wrong in I'm multiple sure. ways. Bleh. That's fine. That's, I'm used to that. And <laughs> we're just not that committed to it. But, um, you know, in the purchase, they did, like, touch up photos and stuff. But we've also talked about, like, them keeping their historicity as a party. Trotsky, when uh, when... when Stalin was brought like a history of the party in history of like... He said, you have to put him in here because you can't do it without him. Even though he fucking hated his guts. Yeah, he was like, I know I ordered that guy murdered, but like you've got to put him in there. He was like, we didn't do this without him, you know? He was yeah, the commander yeah. of the goddamn Red Army. Like, what do you want? <laughs> the Soviet Union, the, their regular people also were just not that stupid. I mean, the <laughs> no. Soviet Union, when they had the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact... You know, it wasn't like everyone was saying, God, you know, the, the Germans are our best fucking friends. They're great. They're our allies. We love them. To remind the listeners, this is this is a pact that basically said, hey, Germany, don't fuck with us for a minute. Yeah. So it said we're going to be. Um, we're going to be temporary armistice kind of thing. Yeah. Non-aggression yeah. with Nazi Germany, which is bad. Uh, mm-hmm. Also. If you guys invade Poland or if we invade Poland, you'll get the other half. I mean, that's a secret that's bad. secret part of the pact, but it was part of it. Not good. Divide up Poland, which they both did. I mean, they, they went and did that. The context, I think, is that Stalin was and the Soviet Union was trying to buy time to build up its arms against a already industrialized, already militarized Nazi Germany that came to power by telling everyone that the Jewish Bolsheviks of the Soviet Union needed to be eradicated and destroyed and liquidated completely. So it was kind of like a trick? I mean, it was a buying time. I th- Yeah, I was like, yeah, we'll totally be friends, JK. I'm going to run back and like build a bomb. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that the whole time, because this coincides historically, with um, the Soviet Union massively industrializing and everything and saying, like, we, we got, we got to fucking get ready for war because these guys are going to, and they were moving factories out uh, east of the, of the Euro mountains and everything because they knew that these guys were coming. They weren't completely prepared. I mean, I think that Stalin was pretty much on his heels when the actual thing happened there. I mean, that, that was, I think the long term. it was just, it happened too soon. 
whenever it changes, they were never like, we were always at war with Nazi <laughs> Germany. No, they're like, okay, great. Now we get to openly hate Nazis. I love this. <laughs> yeah. it's I don't know. It's just too stupid, too simplistic of a way to say it. Like, oh, no, we were like, no one was doing that. Yeah, that's okay. That is funny, though, that I assumed it was about something that happened like after Orwell's fucking time, which is embarrassing. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah, if you want to, you know, be more accurate about it, you could say, you know, yeah, maybe, you know, imperialist countries or, or settler colonial countries look at it and say, like, I mean, come on. What is one of the things that we kind of had as a hint as kids was that, we, you know, yeah, we had like the first Thanksgiving and we, you know, met with the nice native americans mm-hmm. and everything but we had all this open land <laughs> totally open nobody lived there if i described the land of fallout new vegas as open to you <laughs> yeah i would be correct but i would be omitting the fact that we had wiped out lots of people with like atomic weapons mm-hmm. and that's kind of what people encountered in the americas was like a post-apocalyptic wasteland because of early explorers introducing smallpox and shit i don't know i think we engage in more myth making of of uh, oh oh yeah you know, oh it's always been this way oh it's it's always been like an unspoiled land and everything oh we've always been just you know the hegemon and stuff and ignoring the bloody ways we got there not what orwell was trying to say at all guaranteed but i enjoy the reinterpretation because you may as well make use of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was thinking, like, especially, like, there was a lot of racialized talk about uh, East Asia. Ooh, of, like, the Mongol features. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, the Asiatic hordes. Yeah. It was real nasty. I was interpreting it because I forgot what time period it was written in as a... Uh, interpretation of the like Sino-Soviet split of like oh we used to be friends and now we're not friends we've never been friends like that kind of shit mm-hmm. but that doesn't match up with the time period but I would just say in general like the idea that these three countries like I think Goldstein's book says oh they're the same like they they, they claim to have slightly different versions of of Bolshevism yeah. like as their origins yeah, but they actually are all the same yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um, that's fucking insane. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, we, with the most generous interpretation, like we do a lot of talk about theory and like how it is both useful and frustrating and that it can create more division. But I don't think that's what he was doing. <laughs> oh, no. Well, I mean, definitely not from a concrete, you know, historical materialist standpoint at all. Like he couldn't come within a 10 foot pole of, you know, historical materialism. He just doesn't have that in him, but he doesn't, he doesn't, he's very emotional. He's very just, I don't know. He's troubled. (laughs) I would have liked to hang out and drink with him and talk, you know, and just fucking talk shit or whatever. But you know me, I like to listen to weird people, but (laughs) I don't No, No, the, the division of, I, I don't understand his, his whole geopolitical thing is, is, nonsense we've discussed for have we done to understand the mechanisms of imperialism for one that like that's important and that but like the the differences of the different states of like how they all end up being the same ideology how they all end up just you know calling it something different that doesn't make any sense like yeah there there have been instances of splitting duh like that's a theme on this fucking podcast but 
uh, the idea of of uh, like like barracks communism that generally necessarily comes from having to fight the foe of capitalism. If there's no capitalists, what are we fucking doing? Yeah. And that's what this ignores is global capital of like, in his defense, Orwell did come up in an age where capitalism was more bound by nations. And Lenin wrote in this time too. I mean, you know, imperialism and everything was sort of bound by nations. But even like he and Marx predicted like kind of conglomerates though and like how that will spread. But I think that there was still sort of a nation state element. And so one of the things that World War One illuminated was that these national elements were going to end up in a conflagration of all these different competing national industrial uh, concerns, right? So this nation's industry was going to butt up against this one and, and, you know, coinciding with that, their, their colonial interests and all that. And that's, this is what goes up in a big fire. When Orwell is writing, there is still this sense of like, in, you know, big companies and shit are still tied to their, still tied to their country. So it's not necessarily going to be a transnational thing, international thing or whatever. It's, it's later that world systems writers and stuff are going to be like Emmanuel Wallerstein and, and people like that. And uh, Giovanni Rigi talk about like regimes, uh, world systems where, uh, there's a different hegemon and stuff, but it's like talking about like world trade and shit like that. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like open veins did. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, that's very much influenced by that is, is this, this notion of moving sort of past the nation state and into these sort of, you know, in, into the companies and, and, and everything like that. Orwell's he's not there. Yeah, he's archaic compared to that. So he doesn't really have this idea. I think so he, he's still thinking of like a nation state essentially controlling its own shit. And like competing with other nation states for the resources. But he also kind of cleverly drops in the whole like, I don't know, X-Files sort of angle of like, what if they're not really fighting sort of thing? What if it's an inside job? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like the bombs being dropped on them and stuff Mm -hmm. is fake. Or, you know, it's real bombs, but it's from their own government. Which like, yeah, I believe it. That's fine. I mean, it's not fine, but yeah. Maybe. I mean, yeah, possibly. That's more interesting. Yeah. But... uh, (laughs) Many times yeah, I have in the very book little faith wanted, in him to be interesting. Yeah, there's many times in the book I wanted it to be more interesting than it was. I was like, come on. <laughs> I, I mean, you. like, Julie is stringing him <laughs> along, right? Or something. You know, but. Yeah, yeah. When we were talking about earlier how Julia kind of conceived of rebellion against the party as just being kind of an individual thing. I'm going to try to break the rules, but I'm not going to try to do anything big. Winston at some point is is thinking about this or something and yeah, he's, he's being patriarchal about it or whatever. He's, he's being like, oh, look at little Julia. Look at how she thinks about things, you know, what a loser. Yeah, like, isn't that a simple way to do it? Yeah. And he says, uh, such a thing as an independent political movement was outside her imagination. And in any case, the party was invincible. It would always exist and it would always be the same. You could only rebel against it by secret disobedience or at most by isolated acts of violence, such as killing somebody or blowing something up. So he's the same way. 
Like, why is he looking down on her when he thinks exactly the same thing of like, hey, like, I guess hers is like, I'm not going to get caught. And he's like, I might get caught. But I don't know the secretive part to me that I'm like that you're doing less than Julia. If it's just like, oh, I have a secret disobedience in my heart. Like, fucking congratulations. Like, nah. no one gives a shit. So he at least signs up for the resistance. Right. So Julia, what he's saying is she does secret disobedience. She has some affairs and you know, she fucks around or whatever, but she doesn't even do anything really bad. She gets some black market. She signs up too. <laughs> yeah, she does. Yeah, eventually. But like this is kind of before that point, I think he's saying, you know, her perspective is limited to the, you know, the party basically is going to stay the same. I cannot do anything about that. I could break the rules a little bit. At most, if I were going to fly off the handle, the most I could do is shoot someone or blow something up, right? And to me, I thought that that sort of was similar to our our modern day system of, of capitalism, reaction, everything, is that a lot of, to a lot of people and I think rightfully so to a lot of people that it does feel so totally encompassing and inescapable, right? And it's, it's unchanging and does seem in a lot of ways unchangeable that there are people who find, you know, incorrectly, but still who find that mass violence is really their only outlet for that. You know, that's, that's, that's the translation for us is mass violence or, or, you know, just things like that as. Yeah. Mass violence perpetrated by an individual, not in a sense of like a mass organized no, violence. Yeah. yeah. Just an, an individual thing. Uh, that, that's the only way to meaningfully act for change in their own personal circumstances or in the world, however they're perceiving it. Mm-hmm. They want to go out with a message kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas that that was sort of a weird kind of piercing through of the times from what he was saying about Julia. I don't think it was at all what he was really meaning, but it was like how it (laughs) came across, you know, now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to me, it came across as like because that was before Winston had joined the resistance. It came across as very hypocritical of like, yeah, you ain't doing shit either. And like (laughs) you're doing less than Julia. Like, you know, yeah. So, like, you having secret thoughts and writing them down in your little journal and fucking thinking, you know, saying, I know truth, that isn't doing anything. Because you're not spreading the truth. You're not, like, engaging with it in a meaningful way. You're just like, I'm sad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did you remember the part about the capitalists? Oh, how they're, like, almost a mythical thing. of Like, oh, they all wore top hats and... Yeah. Uh, I don't remember the other. I mean, they were described really I guess tuxes. You know, yeah, they were. Good. Yeah, I I hope for a future where we remember capitalists only vaguely and as evil and cartoonish. It reminded me of um, the "Bay Me, Bay Me" part <laughs> of the Dispossessed. <laughs> That's my favorite. It's like I'm the oh. capitalist of old. <laughs> uh yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, let's get to the little ending part the ending sucks it's just it's just excessive torture it's just it's just torture porn at some point yeah he gets thrown in jail 
I will say that the common criminals sounded way cooler than the political criminals. Like they were all like giving the finger to the fuck yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Like, that was you hilarious. Piece of shit. Why do you have me in? <laughs> they were just like badasses. <laughs> I liked them a lot. I was like, oh, these guys are cool. Again, I want to hang out with the proles. They seem way cooler. <laughs> yeah, the proles. I mean, they probably have half as many teeth, but like they seem neat. Yeah, whatever. I can get down with it. They, uh, you can only drink beer, but I like beer. And you can probably, you know, get gin on the black market. So, And I like gin, so. I don't good. like beer or gin, so I'm kind of fucked. I would have to be in the inner party for the wine only. Uh, so that sucks. <laughs> or you could just fuck someone in the inner party and get Yeah, wine. yeah, that's what I'll do. I'll be a toothless <laughs> old woman like that. The sex worker he went to see. Oh, so we didn't mention that, really. Yeah, yeah. He, retelling. He went there and was so fucking horrified and did it anyway. So he ugh, just completely. What was the, because was there any point to this besides just depravity or what? I think it was to show his desperation for human connection. That's my guess. He was willing to pay for it and to go to someone who like looked so ugly. <laughs> That's my guess. I don't know. So he's so like, um... I mean, atomized. That's a big theme of this, too, is that everyone's so alone because of the surveillance state and stuff. It's not Marxian in the sense it's not like the nature of your work is doing this, but like the surveillance state, the panopticon they're in is is driving them to this extreme. Even the children like narc on their parents and shit like they're taught like their their version of the scouts is the spies, which I thought was hilarious. (laughs) So, yeah. It is very much like weirdly destroying the family unit at the same time, like propping it up. I'm like, can you pick a lane, please? (laughs) You can't do both of those things. Yeah, I think he was trying to be anti-Soviet with like the young pioneers or something like that. Which those sounded cool. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, the end is just, he gets tortured a whole bunch by O'Brien. He gets really weirdly like... He still sees him as good like, in some you, ways. <laughs> yeah, he's 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 a dirty bird. He's into it. <laughs> um, and O'Brien's like, we're, we're evil, man. Yeah, we're evil. let's talk about this. That. Let's talk about this. He's he says we're priests of power, and and that's all we're after is power. And I'm like, it, it truly it, it becomes cartoonish. It becomes just sadistic. It becomes unbelievable. Not in like a wow sense, but in a what the fuck sense. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Nobody does this. And like, very, okay. There are some people like with, you know, honestly fucked up brains that like, you know, <laughs> there's, there's some people who tend towards, you know, say sadistic behaviors for sure. There's yeah. not that many of them. And usually it's created by a fucked up childhood, things like that, blah, blah, blah. There's lots of discussion on, on that. I'm not going to get into yeah. that. There's some of those people for sure. But to create an entire society where it has to be a pretty large mechanism of people at the top who are like, Wahaha. like that's insane. They're not getting anything out of it. Yeah. That's, that's the thing is that the, you know, it's, it's not that crazy to me that a substantial portion of your population will fuck over the rest of the population for personal gain. That's what we do now. <laughs> yeah. Even in capitalism, there's the myth of they think they're doing good. You know, like every, and like, that's what makes 
shit interesting in storytelling for one and but also it's it's human nature i just genuinely believe that like, very few people set out to do evil like that's just not a thing that's not what we do like we tell ourselves a narrative of i'm the main character i'm doing my best i think this is right you know like the classic like hitler thought he was right like well, of course he fucking thought he was right he also wanted a whole bunch of power but he did think like hey the benefit of this is i get i get cool power but also i'm right and in capitalism yeah, they, they see themselves as benevolent. They see themselves as like, oh, well, I give to charity. Oh, I'm providing jobs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's excuses. There's no excuses in this one. Yeah. I mean, even in our system, you have the oddball who's like, I'm just being mean. I'm just doing an evil <laughs> playthrough. You know, like, fine. <laughs> okay. But yeah, by and large, it's there's some sort of myth making, right? And in this one, there's none. It's naked. It's, it's just lazy. It's just Ha <laughs> Winston, we are evil. We don't like he doesn't say evil, but like he's like we do this because we want power. We don't get anything from it. We're just power monks. It's just so dumb. Like why would they do that? It seems to equate power with like causing pain, and like that's the ultimate expression of power is being able to physically hurt somebody or mentally hurt somebody. Like that's that's their that's how they fucking get off. Yeah, it just does not make sense that like multiple people like what inner party's got to be at least like a hundred guys or a couple more hundred guys like you know like that's a mm-hmm. good chunk of folks to all be into that shit because why hasn't there been a softening of the party line and stuff like that like why haven't they given more treats why haven't they gotten more corrupt why why yeah. any of that because i mean if you think orwell is true trying to drive a line at the Soviet, you know, bureaucracy and stuff like a good Trotskyist would, right? Mm-hmm. He would be trying to drive, you know, but he wasn't a Trotskyist. He wasn't. Point. I mean, like it's, but I mean, he wasn't a Trotskyist at this point. You know, he's, he's, would really be sullying even their name with that. Of, he claims to be an anarchist and I would like to kick his little butt because I don't want you in my club. No, for sure. Not an anarchist either. He would be pointing out the increasing the increasing perks that yeah. the inner party would get. And that's what he did in Animal Farm. And that one, I was like, I get it. Like, good job. <laughs> yeah. It was like, oh, well, they're they're establishing them as this bureaucratic caste. And they're, they're amassing all of these personal. But he doesn't do that. He just says, no, they don't want anyone to have that. They're monks, basically. And they just want to. You know, leave lead these ascetic lives and make everyone leave even more ascetic lives, and therefore they're comparatively better, which is stupid. It would make more fucking sense to me if, like, at the end they're like, "We're aliens. This was all an experiment." You know, like that—that's how <laughs> yeah. insanely unhuman it is. Of just like this has no basis in history. This has no basis in human nature. <laughs> this has no basis in anything. Yeah, <laughs> we're aliens. Uh, yeah. I've also been reading a lot of sci-fi, so, you know, take that with a grain of salt. <laughs> hey, that's good, man. How, uh, Childhood's End? Childhood's End, fantastic. I had some quibbles with it, but I really liked it. Nice. Uh, I also read uh, Semiosis uh, recently, and that was real fucking good. Recommend. Nice. Yeah, so they, you know, they torture him or whatever. And like I said, at the end, I think the ending was weird, too, for me. Why go through all that work and expense to torture this guy? Like, first off, if you wanted to say, oh, this is 
a critique, you'd be like, well, they killed him. Like, they took him out back and shot him. And, like, he's constantly worried they're going to shoot him in the back of his head. And it's implied that that's what happens to everyone when they go to room 101 or whatever, or when people earlier in the book mysteriously disappear. And I'm like, yeah, that would be that would make sense <laughs> to be like, oh, you thought the wrong thing, kablamo. Like, why would you spend this much time and resources on, like, breaking him as a person? First of all, room 101, it doesn't make a lot of sense in terms of the, you know, what the party's trying to do, right? It makes a little more sense if you imagine it as just a peevish insert into the into the story. Um, <clears throat> the Ministry of Truth derives from the BBC's overseas service controlled by the Ministry of Information, Room 101 derives from a conference room uh, at BBC Broadcast House. Like, just a room where he had to go, like, to to meetings at. <laughs> That's insane. That's him being like, me being in a boring meeting is as worse as getting rats strapped to my face <laughs> in a cage. What's wrong with you? Like, listen, I hate work, too, but, like, come on. <laughs> that is sort of the ultimate, like, white guy worst nightmare sort of thing it's like i had to go to this meeting man nobody man. listened to like, me in the meeting it was so boring <laughs> but that's so funny it yeah internally the whole logic of it doesn't make sense like why are they wasting their efforts all this stuff to like convert even when o'brien ex- tries to explain why they in some sort of almost catholic sense like try to to clean save the soul of someone to me, it doesn't ring clear, like, why they do that, why they try to make them loyal. It's not a parallel. If you're trying to take a shot at gulags, it's not a parallel. No. Like, that's not what those were for. That was like, hey, we're either going to kill you or we're going to send you to a work camp. Those things weren't happening. They mentioned work camps, but, like, he didn't get sent to one. I'm like, do only the proles get sent to them? Or, like, what is the, what are the criteria? And that that's another thing. When, at some point, yeah, maybe it was a back in the book part. I think the book says that it was too hard for any country to do mass extermination or something. Oh, why? Right? Doesn't it, say, it says it's just like it would be too much or something. Mm. Uh, it would be too bloody. But like it's. It, this is also hard. This, he had a personal torturer. It, it, it jarred me because I was like, you're writing a book about one of two things or both of them. <laughs> Right. And in one, they definitely did that. They definitely did that. And in two, you're accusing them of doing that. (laughs) So what are you doing? You know, like, why would it be impossible to do that? But no, I I don't know. I don't get it. But, but in their situation, they don't mass exterminate. They just can like weirdly convert you, convert them with torture. And then it also it like continues not making sense because they're like here's a here's a job, here's a, job. Like a, a cushy job you just like a no show job i mean the yeah. sopranos terms you just <laughs> hey here we go i mean like you know we he's got, on some committee yeah we get a cut and uh vito comes by every once in a while you know <laughs> i sit at the construction site all day it's pretty chill Looking <laughs> <laughs> patsy parisi over here oh yeah I don't get that. Like, why wouldn't you send him to a labor camp? Why? Like, he's totally broken. You could actually get some good work out of him if you're worried about that. Why wouldn't you let him be a prole? Like, what? Why? No, it's unexplained. Like, he hangs out at the cafe all day, drinking gin. Seemingly free gin. Playing chess all day and mm, 
last quibble. White does not always mate. Oh, is that a thing? Yeah, no, uh, white does not always mate. I mean, it depends on, like, who's playing. Oh, okay, he's saying white always wins in chess? Yeah, that's what Winston said. White always wins. Uh, Why would you play chess otherwise? (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I I thought it was sort of a reflection maybe of the society of, like, they're so ingrained, you know, of a thought process of, well, you know, good always wins, white always wins. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, I was gonna say he doesn't touch on race in this book, but he does. He just does it racistly, so we don't have to get into it. <laughs> like, the Asiatic cords. No, they're so scary. Doesn't mention black people at all. Don't know where they are. So who knows? Yeah, well, it's sort of like Man in the High Castle. When they mention how they are, it's not good. It's not good. You don't want to be a part of it. <laughs> yeah. Same with Handmaid's Tale. You're like, oh shit, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And at the end, the ultimate defeat is he. He loves Big Brother now. Wow. I mean, I do feel for him and that he got completely broken. Oh, totally. It was it was horrifying to read, but like it felt excessive and it didn't have it didn't have any proper motivations behind it. Not that I'd be like, oh, yeah, get him. You know, if it did have motivation, no, but, the, but the society was set up in a very stupid way. Like there, there's no benefit. There was no purpose. Like, you know, if you wanted to take a shot at why reasons why people torture usually it's for information which one isn't reliable but that's why people do it mm-hmm. for the most part again unless you're just a particular kind of sicko and that just wasn't here that that wasn't like yeah sure he you know betrayed julia but that was more a betrayal of the heart not of the you know i'm gonna name times and places because he already did that mm-hmm. <laughs> so there was no point <sighs> anyway this book sucked i'll give it one out of five I wouldn't. I would not read it again. The only sliver of interesting things were like the comparisons to capitalism, and those were accidental. See, I factored in my deliberate reinterpretation, mm-hmm, so I gave mm-hmm. it two out of five. <laughs> <laughs> the best he could do. Because oh. I think that if you're reading it as an avowed communist, you can figure out a way to. I mean, I think I think you can put it aside. I think you can. I think there are know, better books that do that. Orwell, sit over here. I'm gonna I'm gonna read this and really channel this. And yeah, it's. I, I <laughs> we agree. don't need I, it. I agree. I think it's too hard to do with this book. But if you want to, you can. And so it gets to. I never thought I would defend Animal Farm, but that one was better. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that one at yeah. least had some basis in something. This was just a whole lot of nothing. <laughs> Not the best effort by Orwell here. Orwell, by the way, who named names and got people thrown, you know, thrown out of work and everything else. Yeah. So you're not allowed to be an anarchist. You're a fucking narc. So get the fuck out of my camp. Narc ass Orwell. <laughs> it's funny that his big fear was rats because he's a fucking oh. rat. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right, next week we are shooting the shit. Hell yeah. I've got a lot of stuff stored up in me. Then I'll see you then. Me. All right, see ya. Hey there, comrades. Just jumping in to remind you of all of our social media. We are on Twitter at Teach Communism, Instagram at Teach Me Communism. You can shoot us an email. That's teachmecommunism at gmail.com. Any of those places are good to send us an episode suggestion or a question anything you think would be useful feedback for us or just your admiration. If you want to admire us in a public manner, and you should, 
You can go to Apple Podcasts to give us a review. It is the best way to help people find the show. Love when people write and review us. Please do both. We are also on YouTube if that's how you prefer to listen to podcasts, or if you know someone that's the only way they'll listen to podcasts, send them to our page. And we have a Patreon. For five bucks a month, you get access to our notes for each week's episode, including the backlog of notes, which is a very handy resource for up-and-coming commies. And at the end of the year, all of the funds from Patreon will be given to local mutual aid in the DFW area. So, ain't going to line our pockets. Finally, we have merch. Check us out at Tee Public. You can find shirts and I believe also stickers and magnets and all kinds of fun stuff with catchphrases from the show or episode art, stuff like that. The link to that store is in the show notes, so check that out. Okay, that's all the internet. Join us next time for another episode of Teach Me Communism, where the class struggle is always in session. Bye, y'all.